Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. With everything going on, we need to let the Bible speak to us in our soul and emotions. Join us as we take a look at what the Bible has to say about being emotionally healthy. Enjoy this week's message. We want to welcome you again to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well as our McKinney campus. Will you join me in welcoming them? Different ways that we're together, but we are together. I gotta say that's one of the things I'm most excited about, about you as a church family. You know, in this moment, there are a lot of discussions taking place about the future of the church and what it's gonna look like, and is it gonna be digital, and is it only gonna be small groups, or is it gonna have to be big gatherings? And here's what, what I would say to you. You guys are so great because you demonstrate and model that it's not either or, it's both and. The church comes together to worship, the church comes together to hear the word, the church comes together to celebrate, but then the church goes out. And the church represents the love of God and the church is the hands and feet of Jesus in people's homes and in people's neighborhoods and in a workplace and it's both together. We don't have to choose between one or the other and you guys are doing that so well. You see the generosity, things like Serve Day. I'm so excited about all of you ladies, a big event this summer, Summer Splash. Because we have limited capacity in here, normally we pack this place out and push it to the extremes. This year, because of the circumstances, we can't do that. So we had to pivot, and you guys met the challenge and are continuing to meet the challenge. Over 125 watch parties will happen this Tuesday as you guys represent what it looks like. So we just want to keep doing that. We want to keep loving people and bringing the message of Jesus beyond, because let's be honest, we're in a world that needs it. We need it. We need it like never before. We've always needed it, but we need it now. And that's why we've been in this series, The Habits of Emotionally Healthy People. And we're in a series like this because we're struggling. We don't feel good. As a culture, we're not doing good. And when you feel good and you're not doing good, you make bad choices. And a lot of times, unfortunately, those choices can have long-lasting ramifications. So we've been together looking and figuring out how we can grow in this area of our lives. I was thinking about you and praying for you this weekend and I came across a fascinating study that a really sharp guy from England, his name is Blanche Flower, that's his last name, he just sounds smart and with the accent it puts him way over the top. He did a big study on happiness, what makes people happy and how happiness changes over your life. 135 different countries, here's what he found. It looks like this, our happiness looks a little bit like this. When you're 16 years old, there's a peak then there's this dip that comes back around later. And there's a lot of speculation why that is. Let me just give you some help understanding why this graph looks like this no matter where you go in the world. As a parent of teenagers and young adults in my own home, 16 is an important age because 16 is a moment in your life. Those of you in McKinney, those of you online will attest to this. You have the maximum adult privileges with the minimum adult responsibilities. So you're living the dream, right? Like, you're not thinking about a mortgage, you're not thinking about groceries, you're, not, you're, you're enjoying the benefit of the room that somebody else is making for you to live your best life. And so at age 16, a lot of times, you know, you get your freedom, you get your driver's license, you're out doing your thing, you have the busiest social calendar in the world that's subsidized by the people who love you, right? Like, my son, who's, and he's only 14, he's just got ahead of the curve, anyways, his social calendar is so busy and, and you know, he, he looks at us like the means to subsidize his social life. But he's not alone. And so what ends up happening is it's fascinating. Sociologists tell us that at 16, the clothes, the music, the car that we think is cool 
most people lock into that. And then they take that cool, the idea of cool with them to the rest of their life to the point where when, they're, when they were 16, the car they wanted, they buy it when they're 40. Nike will tell us their highest, most expensive shoes that they sell are not to teenagers, they're to 40-year-olds who are buying the $400 pair of shoes they wish they could afford when they were 16, so they're doing it now. We lock in to what we think is cool, right? But then responsibility happens, and that sucker starts to go down. Now, the encouraging thing is, if you could see this online, the encouraging thing is it goes way back up later in life, 66. I don't know if you would attest to that, those in that, uh, that age group. I saw this week Jerry Seinfeld. He goes, I'm 65 years old. I was like, man, we're all getting old. And uh, Jerry's 65. He said, this is the greatest moment of my life because I've been married for 19 years, I got my wife, I got my three kids, and really, at 65, I don't care what anybody else thinks, and I don't even have to fake it anymore, so when people ask me stuff, I just say no to everything. He's like, my life has never been better. I don't know if that's what makes life so great at that point, but that's what Jerry said, he's a pretty sharp guy. But I thought I was appropriate to bring you this graph, because if you see down there at the very bottom, that circle, it says 47, let me just tell you, I am 47 years old and I bring you good news from the very bottom of the happiness graph. <laughs> you could be happy, it's still doable, right? Like there's lots of reasons, why is that the bottom? I think, well, you're mid-career, you're in the, right in the heart of those teen years with your kids maybe, it could be that, you're, you're not really that, you're, you're still in the grind, there's a lot of family pressure, a lot, a lot of stress, a lot of financial pressure, all kinds of things. So if you're in that place and you feel like, man, I'm not doing good, everybody else is doing good, the data says we're all in the struggle, but the good news is we can grow, we can get better, we can get healthy in our emotions. So in this series, we've been talking about how do you do that? Well, the first week talked about being grateful. Emotionally healthy people are grateful. Second thing we said was emotionally healthy people, they hear God's voice. They don't try to do life on their own. They listen to God's voice. Then the last week we talked about emotionally healthy people are reconciled in their relationship with God and because of that they're able to be reconciled with others. And this week we're gonna look at another one. It's not gonna be super surprising. It's not gonna be like, I can't believe he said that, but that doesn't make it any less significant. Emotionally healthy people filter their emotions and frame their thinking through God's word. That's how they do it. When they're working through their emotions, when they're working through how they think about life, how they think about others, they, do it, don't, they don't do it based on what uh, maybe they grew up learning, they don't do it necessarily based on what their friends say, they don't do it necessarily based on the opinion of culture or experts, they lean on God and his word to be the initial framework by which they manage their emotions and they navigate with the world. And I think at some level, even our country as a whole understands this. You look at research, 60% of Americans say, I feel like my life would be better if I read the Bible more. That's not Christians, that's just Americans in general. So we have this idea that this would actually help me live a better life. The problem is there's this huge gap between I think this would help and then actually doing it. I saw this week, tragically, the American Bible Society did another study and they found that in 2020, only 9% of Americans are reading their Bible on a daily basis. And one of the things that they thought was concerning, they're like, well, why is that? If you look at 2020, 14%. So in one year, 5% of Americans have stopped reading their Bible. Binging is up. 
Social media is up. Addictions are up. Anxiety is up. But Bible reading is down. Why is that? I, I think there are a lot of different reasons. It can be difficult. It's something that we struggle to understand. We, we, we know that it would be helpful, but we don't always know how to do it, and we don't like doing things that, that we feel ill-equipped or we feel like we're frustrated all the time. If it's frustrating long enough, we'll all quit eventually. So my goal today is to help inspire you, maybe watching online or in McKinney, to inspire you to see God's word in a new way so that you can grow and benefit and experience the power of his word in your life in a whole new way. I'm not trying to inspire you to study real hard to take a test. I'm not trying to give you abstract windows into conspiracies. I'm trying to give you things that will help and change the way you live your life on a daily basis. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at a familiar passage from Jesus. On the way to that passage, I thought we'd consider what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Now you might be going, Jed, are you, are you, are you sure? Because I think this is the first problem that we have. Our first problem is, well, I know that's what the Bible says about itself, but Jed, are you serious? All scripture? Like, all scripture? Like the genealogies? Have you read those? We just skipped those parts. What, what about Leviticus? How many, uh, how many Bible in a year studies have been, ended up dead on the side of the road of Leviticus? Because there's a lot of random stuff in there we, we don't know how to make sense of. You ever read Ezekiel? There's some wild stuff in there. You may not want to have your kids around when you read Ezekiel if you read it out loud. Because there's some stuff in there that you're like, what in the world is going on? So sometimes we struggle. All scripture, how does that work? Because here's what I found. People have a hard time. They go, I don't know about the all part, Jed. There's too much to remember, and it's really hard to understand. Let's be honest. Our attention spans are shorter than they've ever been. We're used to taking in quick information, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. If we don't like it, we move on to the next thing. I have a reputation among some of my friends. They said, Jed, I didn't even know this was a thing. They said, Jed, you're a short texter. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you don't really say that much. You kind of just say the thing that you're trying to say and move on. I was like, I thought that's the point of what texting was. They're like, no, no, no. Sometimes you got to add some detail and context. And, you know, you're a writer, so get into it. But have you ever had that time where you're looking at your thing and you get the little three bubbly dots, always exciting, always a little anticipating what's going to happen. It's always weird when the three dots comes and then nothing ever happens. Like, I guess they didn't want to say anything to me. Anyways, you ever have the three dots and then all of a sudden the box that it comes in is giant? Like, the person wrote you a mini novel? I get it sometimes on my watch, and I'm scroll, scroll, scroll. Dear Lord, how long is that? I learned a new term. You ever heard this? TLDR. You text that back to someone. Too long, didn't read. So it's just like. So if text messages are too long, how much more this ancient document that was written on halfway around the world that requires a, a, a attention, understanding. We don't do things that we don't understand because there are so many other options that we have in the world. The, the other one is, I can't make sense of it. 
can't make sense of the Bible. I don't understand. What's it trying to say? I've had many well-intended people during this season of time. Maybe you can relate to this in McKinney or online. I, I've had many well-intended people go, you know what? All these things are happening. I think secretly these are the end times. And then, you know, what Matthew 24 is really talking about COVID and the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And I'm like, okay, guys, appreciate the speculation. But, but really, God's word has never been about secret messages that only a few people could understand. God's word's always been so accessible, so real, so meaningful, that a child could enjoy it, and yet so deep that our brightest minds can be confounded by the depth of the wisdom on the inside. The problem isn't the Bible, the problem is the way that we approach and engage with the Bible, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna do my best to try and help you and inspire you to read it in a new way, but, but I thought there's somebody way more qualified to help you in understanding the Bible, and his name is Jesus. So let's look now, Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, famous little story. I wanna give you a little context before we jump in to actually what happens in the story, because I think it's helpful for us. Because the people in their day were having the same struggle that we face today. I think one of the problems with the Bible that we run into is we relate to it as a, as a book filled with spiritual information. And at some level, it is, and that can be helpful. But it's so much more than a rule book. You ever heard somebody say, oh man, you really need to b- read the Bible. It's like an instruction manual for life. And, and I always go like, I know you're trying to be helpful, but if you've ever met a guy, we don't read those unless we have to unless it's broken and we have a stack of parts of stuff that we don't know where it goes, then maybe we'll read the instruction manual. Most people don't go, you know what I really wanna do today? I can't wait to read instruction manuals. And so if you relate to the Bible that way, you're gonna struggle. So much more than a series of rules. Jesus comes into this discussion with these experts in the law. Now, when we hear law, we think, we think political, but really in their day, law meant scripture, right? The first five books of the Bible are the Torah, the Hebrew word for the law. That was not just the law, but it was their story, it was the history, it was God's desire to build the world with his people. And so when they say, when an expert of the law says, he's gonna say this in just a minute, Jesus, what's the most important law? We, we get confused, what does that have to do with us? Really the most helpful way for us to think about that is, what they're really saying is, what's the most important part of the whole Bible? Or maybe another way, what's the most important scripture in the Bible? And again, this is why it all comes down to how you see it. See, if you see the Bible as spiritual information that you're obligated to study that may or may not be useful, you're gonna ignore it. But if you see God's word for what it really is, an invitation to a supernatural, dynamic, life giving, life altering relationship with the God of the universe who created you, who knows your name, who knows what you're feeling better than you know, your motivation and your desire and your relationship with God's word will be totally different. And if you haven't figured it out, my prayer for all of us is that we would move to that category and Jesus is gonna help us. Look at Matthew chapter 22, starting here in verse 35. It says, one of them, an expert of the law. Now again, this is not a lawyer doing some political work. This would be like a Pharisee or a Sadducee. This would be an expert in the Bible. Now remember, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's a lot to remember. Some of those repeat themselves, but this is what he's asking them. He's saying this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's testing Jesus. 
Here's what he's really doing, and this is unfortunate because we've been around people like this. He's coming to this person and he's saying to them subtly, do you know as much about God as I know about God? Do you know as many rules as I know? Have you ever been around someone like that? Do you feel like, man, when I'm around that person, I really am inspired to know more? No, you're like, I want less of that. Jesus one time told the same kind of people, he said, you spend all your time digging around in the Bible, but you miss the whole part because you're not even looking for me. Look how Jesus answers them. He says, Jesus replied, he's summarizing the entire Bible. He's saying, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He's not giving us categories. Here's what he's saying. What part of, God, what part of you should love God? And, and what Jesus is saying, all of you. All of you, every part, if you wanna have a real relationship, every part, not your Sunday part, not your work part, not your family part, all of your parts should love and honor God. Goes on to say this, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, all the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets is just another way to say the whole Bible hangs on these two commandments. What's Jesus doing? Well, quite simply, he's changing the way we think about the Bible. I could take time, it's a different message, but I could tell you about the purpose of the law, what it was meant to do, how it was pointing to them, why we got the law, why the law was a, a, a unfortunate but necessary thing in our relationship with God. But, but here's what I want you to understand. See, if you make life, I gotta read the Bible because I gotta remember all these things that I always have to do right, you're gonna live frustrated with yourself and you're gonna live frustrated with other people who aren't as good as you are. And Jesus is saying, don't try that approach to life because there's no life there. The purpose of the law was to show you your inability. You can't do it in your own strength. You're not spiritual enough, you're not good enough. You have to put your trust in me, and once you put your trust in me, I can live in you and through you and allow your emotions and your life and your heart and your mind to be something you could never do on your own. He's giving us a filter, he's giving us a lens. What does this mean for us practically? When you go to your Bible, whether you read Genesis or Exodus or Psalms or Proverbs, you should always read it through this lens. What is God saying to me about how this is going to help me love him and then just like loving him, to love others. Jesus is saying the purpose of reading God's word is not to memorize information, it's to be transformed in our hearts, in our actions, in the way we live on a daily basis. That's what we all want. That's what we all need. Now I want you to know, I'm in the struggle with you. Maybe online, you've tried to read the Bible. Maybe here in this room, maybe in McKinney, You've tried and you get frustrated. Many, many times I've sat down to read the Bible and I'll read it, I'll be like, I'm gonna read the Bible and God's gonna speak to me and I read it and I'm not totally sure what happened. I finished the chapter and I was like, okay, I did it, but I don't totally know what happened and I sure don't know what that has to do with my daily life. I grew up in a home where we valued the Bible, we loved the Bibles. My earliest memories, memories I could remember Seeing my dad, my mom, reading the Bible, encouraging me, incentivizing me, disciplining me to read the Bible. And so I did. And I, I didn't always understand, and I didn't always have the right motivation. There was a season of my life, my brother would tell you, my sole motivation for reading the Bible was I wanted to memorize more verses than he did. I was like one of those experts in the law. I bet I know more than you. 
I've tried that strategy. It's not real great. Let me, let me give you a different hope. Maybe you're, you're saying, Jed, that's where I still am. Every time I try to read it, I get nothing out of that. Well, well here's the good news. There is a moment that's coming in your life Maybe there's a prodigal in your life and you've prayed for them and you've encouraged them to read the Bible. You've given them multiple copies of the Bible and they've never read it. Don't give up hope. If that's you and you read the Bible and you're like, I just don't understand. I don't get anything out of it. When it goes from being something that you do and there's, I don't know how it happens. It's God in his wisdom and in his mystery as we continue to obey, as we continue to obey. And God, I don't totally understand it, but I'm gonna keep taking steps. There comes a moment where our eyes are open and the time that we put in, those words that came in our heart that we didn't understand, they're not lost words, they're seeds. And when your eyes are opened to see the beauty and the glory of the God who is always there. Those words that you thought were a waste of time become seeds that spring up in your heart and begin to change you from the inside out. We don't know when it happens. We don't know how it happens. But I promise if you don't give up, if you prioritize his word, if you give it prominence in your life, eventually it will explode with righteousness and joy and a peace that you can't understand. It's so much more that I'm trying to read a bunch of information that I may or may not need. We come to God with a heart that says, Lord, I wanna know you. If Jesus was the living word, but he spent time with his father every day because he needed to know his father's heart and he said, I only do what the father tells me to do. How much more do you and I need to integrate our daily lives with the word of God to tell us how to live, how to think, how to breathe, how to handle the things that we're going through? Before I pray for you, I wanna make it a little bit more practical. How does the Bible help us get emotionally healthy? Well, the first thing is this. It challenges our basic assumptions. It challenges our basic assumptions. The word I, I put there in parentheses is worldview. Now, sometimes we get confused by that, but, but here's really what your worldview is. The worldview, your worldview, and we all have one, whether you know how you got it or not, you have a worldview. It's the lens through which you see the world. You're like, well, that makes sense. Uh, but, but here's why it's so important. None of us goes, I'm gonna make a decision today. Let me consult my worldview to see what I believe. You just do it. Because if I were to stop and have coffee with you and I say, what do you know to be most true in your life? Whatever you would say to that question, would be your worldview. Now, now here's why I'm belaboring this point. It's very possible and very common to go to church, to be around services, to be a follower of Christ, and to not have a biblical worldview. Because in order to have a biblical worldview, you have to consider, do what I believe most in life, does it line up with what God's word says? Because the great thing about God's word is it has no problem stepping on our toes and challenging us. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We don't like this one, but it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, here's what is true of all of us. No matter what our worldview is, it's really hard to change. One neurological study found it this way. It said, changing the things that you care about most is emotionally equivalent to being chased by a bear. Now, I don't know if you've ever been chased by a bear. I never have. I was in Colorado not long ago, and I was, Sarah goes, do we have bear spray? 
And I was like, I don't need bear spray. But if we'd seen a bear, I probably would have wanted bear spray. It's, it's the kind of thing that's traumatic. We don't like having our, our, our challenges, our, our assumptions, our thoughts, our ideas, the way we view the world. We don't want anybody stepping on that, which is why, really, I gotta tell you, I love comedians. You're like, what does that have to do with this? I'm gonna try and show you. Right, like great comedians do observational comedy. They tell you something that you know is true in your own life and then they get you to realize how silly it is. Now this isn't part of the message, but this will help you. If you wanna be more healthy emotionally, laugh every single day of your life. You should laugh every day of your life and you should laugh at yourself every day of your life and if that seems uncomfortable, I'll show you how to do it in just a minute. Here's what we gotta do, we gotta laugh at ourselves because what a comedian will do is like, you're doing stuff that's ridiculous and you don't even know it's ridiculous. I find myself, because here's the thing, we catch stuff, we take on beliefs, we take on values, we take on views just being around other people and we didn't even know we take it in. I love words, I love phrases. There's a phrase I can't stand. My, one of my least favorite phrases, probably my least favorite phrase, you probably have said it, but I still love you. Here's the phrase, it is what it is. It means nothing. Stop saying it. If you ever hear me say it, say, well, why are you saying that? You said we shouldn't say it. I've caught myself saying it. It's nonsensical. It's filler. There's no reason to actually say it. Here's another one that I've, you know, one of my friends was like, do you really believe that? Yeah, I really believe it. I'm stopping saying this one. At the end of the day. We all say this now. We're talking along and then we're trying to make a point. We're trying to add emphasis. It's like a way to bold or underline your verbal statement. So you go, at the end of the day. That's really ridiculous. Because if it was true at the beginning of the day, it's true at the end of the day. I really think at the end of the day, it's about we're closing the door so there's nothing left you can do about it. So at the end of the day is a way of like, I'm saying this and you can't talk back. Well, maybe. So we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves, okay, where did that come from? How do I get that? Are there things in here? Let me give you one. For the sake of time, I'm only gonna give you one. A lot of people believe it. Here's, here's a worldview assumption that's unbiblical that many people have. Here's what it is. The, the assumption is people are basically good. If we create the right circumstances, we can build the perfect society that will be equitable and fair and everyone will live in harmony. It's a nice idea, it's beautiful, and if you believe that, it's completely within your rights to believe that. The only problem is it's completely contrary to what the Bible says. We're flawed and we're broken, and the moment that we say, God, we want everything that you offer without being dependent on a relationship with you, we create pain and suffering far greater than we would have anticipated or we would have imagined, which is I basically summarized the story of scripture for you in one little moment. It's hard for us to deal with that. But do we really believe that? And, and, and the only way that that belief gets challenged, now you don't hear what I'm not saying. See, the great thing about having a biblical worldview, and we're all in process trying to get there, the great thing about having it is it doesn't make you go, I disagree with everybody who doesn't believe what I believe, and I don't even want you to be part of my life. No, not at all. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. A biblical worldview goes, I'm trusting God. I'm not putting my expectation on you or myself to make the world right. I'm trusting God's gonna sort it out and so I'm free to love and serve you even if you think that life is completely different than the way I feel about you. It gives you a peace and the ability to worry about you first and everybody else later to be loving and considerate and gracious which makes you so much more healthy emotionally. Here's the second thing. It, challenge, it clarifies the issues of our hearts. And here's the problem. We don't know what's going on in our hearts. There's all kinds of emotions swirling around in there. During this time, we've all been wrestling with stuff, and, and I was thinking about it because during this time, uh, over the last few months, 
my son and his friends started to play a, a, a new hobby. They, they got a new hobby, it's disc golf. And so I was looking for a way to spend more time with my teenage son, so I was like, I'll play disc golf with you. So we started going out and playing a group of the guys on staff here and their sons were all out at the park playing disc golf and you know, it's chaos. There's guys going around everywhere and those discs, you could throw them far, like farther than a football field and, and uh, they, they're hard and they could hit someone and hurt someone, so I'm worried about the kids and, and like, don't hit each other in the head, that could be a problem. And then, um, it wasn't a kid who got hit in the head. Uh, it was me. And here's the problem. I never saw the disc. And so I, I, I didn't even see it coming. And all of a sudden, my face exploded with pain receptors. You ever had that happen? Like your face just hurts and you don't even know what happened to you. And so my friend goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? I did what every guy did. I'm good, right? Like I'm seeing stars. I'm in the concussion protocol. I'm wobbling a little bit. I'm trying to find my bearings, but I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I start tasting blood in my mouth. I was like, is it bleeding out my nose? I was in a rough spot. But in that moment, what do you gotta do? Okay, where's my bearings? Can I see? Yes, okay, up, down. Where, what just happened to me? And then what do I, how do I make sense of it? And here's, here's why I belabor this point. Many times our emotions are the same way. See, whether or not you engage with God's words, emotions are gonna blindside you. The difference is, if you're connected to his word, your ability to navigate those emotions makes a totally different outcome than if you don't have it. See, most people, it works like this. You have an emotion, and then because of that emotion, you have an action, and you're like, Jed, I'm not emotional. Well, that's okay for those of you who stuff your emotions. You're passive aggressive, but you still do it, right? Like, all of us, and it's okay, I'm in that group sometimes, but here's the thing. We all, our emotions impact our actions, and let me just suggest a better way. Emotion, and then God's word as a filter, and then an action. You, you, you've probably been noticing, if you've been with us this summer, we stop during the service, during worship to pray. Those of you online, those of you in McKinney, we've all been doing this together. And, and when we do that, we almost always go to the book of Psalm, and there's a reason. Because in the book of Psalms, right there in the middle of the Bible, you find every emotion that you could possibly imagine and every emotion that you could possibly imagine completely 100% honest. There's jealousy, there's anger, there's fear, there's disappointment, there's betrayal, there's, there's pride, there's lust, there's all of those things. And what Psalms shows us, the biggest book of the Bible right there in the middle of the Bible is when you have an emotion, don't just act out of that emotion. You're not a prisoner to your emotion. You bring that emotion to God in all honesty. And you're like, God, here's what I'm struggling with. And then the Spirit of God helps you take that emotion. And instead of letting that emotion do what it's going to do in your life, God's Spirit intervenes and you live a different experience because His Word filters your emotions. Every single one of us can do this if we will, we don't know what's happening in our heart. The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We don't even know how we're doing. Jeremiah 17, 10 though says, the Lord tests and examines our heart. You can get help in your heart if you'll put his word in your life. Here's the third and final thing. It connects us to God's heart. It connects us to God's heart. I'm, I'm sure most of you in the room have heard the phrase deja vu. You probably even experienced deja vu, all of us. Deja vu is this weird phenomenon we don't even totally understand in our brains where we experience a moment that's new to us but somehow feels familiar. It's like, this is a new thing, but it feels like I've been here before. And I was listening to this guy, fascinating guy. He goes, you've experienced deja vu. Have you ever experienced vujade? 
I'm a learner. I was like, I want to know. What is this vujade? He goes, here's vujade. It's the opposite of deja vu. He said, it's something that you see all the time, something that's very familiar. It's right there in front of you. But because of a catalytic event, all of a sudden, boom, you see it in a totally new way. As I pray for you, my hope, my prayer, is that you'll get a vujade moment when you think about God's word. See, here's the kicker. Here's the thing that changes it. Here's the catalytic event. When you understand loving God's word is how we love God, it changes everything. And that's not my idea. That's Jesus himself in John 14. He gave us his love language. He said, if anyone loves me, they'll obey my word. And here's what I love about Jesus. He's so much better than we realize. He doesn't go, well, people who are really good at reading and studying and remembering things, they're gonna do it and they're gonna have a much better life than the rest of us. No, Jesus said that if anyone loves me and obeys my word, watch this. He said, not only will I help you a little bit, not only will I remind you, he said, I'll send you the the Holy Spirit that'll remind you of everything I said. But he said, if you love me and you love my word, not just in church services, not just when your favorite worship song is playing, Anyone who loves me and loves my word and obeys me, my Father and I will come to them and will make our home in them. God wants to make his home in you. All you have to do is open up to the word. That's why I would encourage you, when I teach people to read the Bible, I've taught them for years, this simple step makes all the difference. When you go to your word, Start, wherever, even if it's five minutes, whatever passage you're reading, just as you're looking at that Bible, just say, Jesus, I'm coming to your word because I wanna know you and I wanna love you. Will you speak to me? I promise you, he will answer that prayer. You say, how do I know if I'm doing this? It, it, just a few practical things that I think could really help you. How do I know if I'm doing this? Well, I would encourage you to read it every day. Five minutes a day is better than an hour one day a week. Read the Bible every day. This is true for everything. This is true for eating right and exercising. It's true for God's word. I can't tell you, I have no greater joy than when I teach in a moment like this and someone comes up to me weeks or months later and says, Pastor Jed, you said read the Bible for five minutes a day. And so I did it, and I did it consistently. Then I went to 10, then I went to 15, then I went to 30. Now I'm at an hour. We would all love to say, I read the Bible an hour every day, but the path to get there is not to just be willpower and determined. Help yourself form the habit. Five minutes becomes 10 minutes, becomes a half hour, and eventually the word becomes a huge part of your life. And it's not, hey, I know more things for Bible trivia. No, my heart's different. My head's different. My life's different. You say, where do I start? Well, if you've never read the Bible, we always say start in the Gospel of John. It's the gospel where Jesus explains what he's up to more than any other place. You know, if you're looking, I only got a little bit of time. We'll do this every day. Read a psalm every day. The psalms teach us how to relate to God and read a proverb every day because the proverbs teach us how to relate to each other. A little bit of the gospel. One psalm, one proverb. If you do it even five minutes a day, it'll change your life. Here's the next two pieces that are equally as important. Talk about it with others. That's why we study the Bible in here together. We want you to talk about it. That's why we tell you about small groups. We're not trying to fill your schedule with programs. We want to give you opportunities and moments for you in your own words to talk about what God's saying to you. 
Do it with your roommates. Do it with your spouse. Do it with your children. It doesn't have to be a test. It doesn't have to be weird. Make it part of your life. This is how we learn anything. You learn anything by talking about it, by growing in it, by thinking about it. And that's the last thing. Think about it in your daily life. Not just when you're here, not just when you're watching a service, but on the way to work, in the boardroom, uh, you know, while you're out exercising, wherever you're at, ask God, God, help me to think about what you said to me in your word. The greatest, the most extensive research project ever done on people's spiritual development wanted to find out what really makes people live the Christian life. They said, is it going to the right church with a great preacher? That can be helpful. Is it going to this place? Is it a background of faith? Is it heritage? Is it time? The single greatest determining factor far and away in every country, in every language, in every age, people who read their Bible on a regular basis have a relationship with Jesus that changes their lives. Every one of us can do this if we'll just open up our heart and say, God, I want to know you more. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for your presence. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your power. We're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful that they all work together to bring us into a dynamic, changing relationship with you. Not just where we learn information, but where we become the people we were created to be. Maybe you're here and you thought a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're watching online and you thought, well, well the whole point of this Christian thing is to be more spiritual than somebody else. And then that's a frustrating way to live your life. There'll always be people who are better than you, there'll always be people who are lesser than you, but the ground is level at the foot of the cross because Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And only a perfect son of God could invite us into a relationship with the perfect God. And so all you have to do right where you're at is just say, Jesus, come into my life. Restore me into a right relationship with God. Just in your own words, just make that your prayer. He'll come and do that in that moment. If you've prayed that prayer, Maybe, there, maybe many of you, there have been seasons in your life where you regularly spent time in his word and you've drifted and you, maybe you feel ashamed or condemned. You haven't even told anyone. God's not mad. He's not looking to shame you. He's wanting to bring you into a greater sense of life, a greater sense of hope, a greater stability in your emotions, a greater ability to love God and to love others. Lord, that's my prayer for each and every one of us that we would grow in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out by texting us at 817-406-7470. Our team would love to pray with you and help in any way that we can. If you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.